I want to talk to you this morning about don't say that. Keep your mouth shut. Would you nudge somebody and say this is a good message for you? <laughs> okay. The proverb tells us death and life are in the power of the tongue. What you say is very important and what you don't say is very important. Joshua told the people, he said, you shall not even mention the names of their gods nor cause anyone to swear by them. And then the Apostle Paul in the New Testament he said, for it is a shameful thing even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. <clears throat> On the positive side, Psalm 107 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And there's that great confession, isn't there, in Romans where it says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. <clears throat> but certain people were told not to speak, not to say things. And the first person I want to draw your attention to is Jeremiah. Now, God spoke to Jeremiah, and he was um, young. And God was setting out for him his whole life's ministry. And when God told Jeremiah what he wanted him to do, Jeremiah felt so inadequate. And this is what the scriptures say. The word of the Lord came to me, saying... Before I formed you, this is what God is talking to Jeremiah about. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. So this is the life's work that God wants him to do. Then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. For I am a youth, the old Bible says, I am a child. For the Lord, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am a child. For you shall go to all who, to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. <clears throat> do not say I am too young. This is a word... For the young, younger people, do not. I am not qualified. I can't do what you're asking me to do. I'm not experienced. And maybe you're just a new convert. You just came to know the Lord. You might think, other people are better than me. Other people are more qualified. Paul had to remind Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, Timothy. That's what he said. And of course, Samuel was just a little boy when God spoke to him. And God conveyed to Samuel what the old priest could not receive at that time. 
So do not say, I am a child. Do not say, I'm too young. Do not say, I can't do this. Do not say, other people are more qualified. <clears throat> because where God calls you, he enables you. And where he leads you, he feeds you. And where he guides, he will provide. And there is no need to be in any way apprehensive and of course Jeremiah he became a great prophet because the spirit of the Lord was with him and God can make up to you and I what we lack in gifting in everything praise God he can make up to you what you are missing in your life <clears throat> don't say I am a youth don't say I'm a child. Don't say that because I'm going to be with you and I'll send you to, and you're going to be able to do everything that I have called you to do. <clears throat> the second person is at the other end of the scale. Sarah and Abraham had been married for many, many years and they had no children. And uh, Abraham is now 100 years old and Sarah is... Uh, almost 90. So they're barely a honeymoon couple, are they? <laughs> and it just hadn't happened for them. And three men appeared to Abraham. <clears throat> One of them, we know, we believe, was the Lord himself, an incarnation of Jesus Christ, what they call a theophany. <clears throat> and uh, these three men... We're talking to Abraham, but Sarah was listening in the next tent. Over here. Do women do that? Yes. <laughs> Earwigging the conversation. She was listening. And this is what the scripture says in Genesis. The men asked Abraham, where is your wife, Sarah? There in the tent, said Abraham. Then the Lord said, I will certainly return to you about this time, a year from now. At that time, your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent which was behind him. Abram and Sarah were very old since Sarah was past the age when women normally have children. She laughed to herself. My husband and I are too old to have a baby. Then the Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, I am too old to have a baby? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No, he said, I will return to you at the right time of year from now, a year from now, and Sarah will have a son. <clears throat> Having children was seen as fruitfulness and a sign of God's blessing in the, in the Old Testament. Now, we know that some couples have difficulty conceiving. It is, it is not a curse, it's not a slight from God, it's just one of those things. Just There are many great men uh, and great couples that have, uh, have found it difficult to have children. <clears throat> But all her life she had wanted a child. She'd gone through, she, they got married and stuff, and all, and all her life she, and now she's, she's nine, she's given up. She's given up on ever being uh, a mum, uh, ever being fruitful. 
But God has a plan for every one of us to be fruitful. Um, Jesus was talking about this in John 15, you might remember, when he said about the fruit. It is your Father's good pleasure that you bear much fruit. God wants your life and mine to be a fruitful life. He wants you to know what it is to have success in the spiritual realm and be fruitful in God. Maybe uh, your dream to lead someone to Christ or to influence some younger person for the Lord, to see a family member find Christ, and to know God more intimately. Psalm 92 says about old, the old, he said, they shall still bear fruit in old age. Isn't that great? (laughs) They shall still bear fruit in old age. (laughs) I heard an old Pentecostal preacher said when he got to 65, he retired T-Y-R-E-D. He got fresh tires. He got a new lease of life. Anna, in the Bible, in the Christmas story, Anna was 84 years old. And uh, she served God day and night, fasting and praying. She didn't even leave the temple. But she, she, she was a great prayer. And she saw things happen for God in her old age. Um, it says in the, in the New Testament, teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect and to live wisely. Uh, they must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. And then it goes on similarly. It says, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. These older women must train younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, and to be wise and be pure, to work in their own homes. You know, some things, I know my wife, she's she's a good cook, and uh, taught younger women how to cook, never managed it on me, but... (coughs) (laughs) An older ministry, teach the younger Women, some of you older people and maybe feel, what can I do now? Do not say I'm too old. That's it. You might be 90. doesn't matter. Don't say I'm too old. God can use you. You're not past it. You're just getting out of second gear. Praise God. And even when you can't get out, praise God, you can, you can wage a warfare in prayer. You can lift up the, the work of Christ in prayer, believing to see souls saved and bodies healed and God's people blessed. Don't say, I'm too old. Don't be like Jeremiah said, I'm only a child. God said, don't say that. And Sarah said, I'm too old. God said, don't say that. All things are possible with God. Hallelujah. And she had a child at 90. Rather her than me. (laughs) Than us, should I say. Hallelujah. Fancy starting again at 90. (laughs) We're just glad when the grandkids go home. (laughs) In Isaiah, there are another lot of people that it said not to speak. And uh, 
They're eunuchs and foreigners. This is what Isaiah 56 says. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be part of his people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. People who feel that they don't fit in. I'm a stranger. Now, the keeping of the Jewish Sabbath <clears throat> was never incumbent on the Gentiles. But if Gentiles joined themselves to become part of the Jewish community, they had to go through the same covenant rites as normal Jews. And here are these Gentile people, these strangers. They're saying, I will never feel part. God will never include me in his people. And the Lord said, don't say that. God will include you. You are part of the family of God. If you know the Lord, if you love the Savior, if you've come to the cross and had your sins forgiven and found peace with God, you're in the family of God. The Bible says once we were strangers and aliens, but now we are fellow citizens with the saints and we belong to the household of God. And some people feel, I don't belong. You do belong. Don't say I don't belong. You do belong. And here were these eunuchs now... Um, <clears throat> He says, don't let the eunuchs say, I am a dry twig. Jesus spoke about this. He said, some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of God. But these eunuchs, they said, I feel I'm just a dry twig. I feel I've missed out on life. I feel, I feel, I watch other people with their kids and their grandkids and I feel I missed out. And I did it for the kingdom's sake. And the Lord said, do not, do not let the eunuchs say that. <clears throat> Some people feel that they have missed out somewhere on life. Uh, I think I might have read this little story to you before. <clears throat> but there was a missionary couple that were coming back from... Africa. They spent all of their life as a missionary couple in Africa. And they were coming back on one of those ocean-going liners. I'll just read part of it. An old missionary couple had been working in Africa for years. They were returning to New York City to retire. They had no pension. Their health was broken. They were defeated, discouraged, and afraid. They discovered that they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from one of his big game hunting expeditions. And everybody on board wanted a glimpse of the great man. When the ship docked in New York, a band was waiting to greet the president. The mayor and other dignities were there. The papers were full of the president's arrival, but no one noticed this missionary couple. They slipped off the ship and found a cheap flat on the east side, hoping the next day to see what they could do to make a living in the city. That night, the man's spirit broke. He said to his wife, I can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. His wife replied, why don't you go into the bedroom and tell that to the Lord? 
A short time later, he came out of the bedroom, but now his face was completely different. His wife asked, dear, what happened? He said, the Lord settled it with me. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming. But when no one met us, <clears throat> as we returned home, and when I had finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, but son, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Here was a couple, they felt they'd missed out on life. They hadn't much money, they hadn't done, but they served God faithfully all through their lives. Praise God. And this is what the scripture says about those strangers and eunuchs. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, my holy days, and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than the sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting name. It will never disappear. For those who have sacrificed anything for the kingdom of God, praise God. Jesus said, there is laid up, uh, or Paul said, didn't he? They laid up a crown of righteousness which the Lord would give him. For those who serve the Lord, there is a blessing. And even though it might have cost you, like this old couple coming back from Africa, praise God, when we get home, there is a great reward for the people of God. <clears throat> Thirdly, <clears throat> I have only 24 more points to go. <clears throat> Thirdly, do not say, I'll take revenge. <laughs> In Proverbs 24, it says, don't talk about your neighbors behind their backs. I'm reading from a more modern version. No slander or gossip, please. Don't say to anyone, I'll get, you, I'll get back at you for what you did to me. I'll make you pay for what you did. Now, we all like it when people... The baddie gets their comeuppance <laughs> and he's been a, a nasty piece of work and, and, and then in the end he gets uh, clobbered or, you know, we all think, fine. But this is what it says. Um, we should not take vengeance. We should not take revenge. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. And whoever you may have hurt you. And sometimes Christians feel the hurt. Maybe some of the other Christians. And I think, I think we don't expect it from that direction. But it comes sometimes. And it's the flesh in them and the flesh in you that, that, that grates. And somehow you're hurt and you're offended. And you're bothered. And it's, I hope. I hope to get re revenge. Uh, my father was speaking in um, New York. I used to go myself a, a lot at one time. But uh, he said that the, the, uh, the, the senior pastor there, uh, a, la a lady pastor it was, um, and she said she was standing on the sidewalk 
is called sidewalks in America. And it had been raining and there was a great puddle and, and the bus driver came and he went into this puddle of water. Can somebody help this brother? Are you okay? They're all right? Yeah, okay. The bus driver hit this puddle of water and drenched her through. And she said, Lord, let all his tires down. <laughs> well, the Bible says, don't take um, offense. Do not say, I'll get you back from what you did. Leave that to the Lord. In the end, God will judge. The Bible says, who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master, he stands and he falls. <clears throat> Finally, in John chapter 4, Jesus had taken his journey through Samaria. And he sat by a well. And uh, the disciples had gone into the town to get food for themselves. And a lady came out to draw water. And Jesus struck up a conversation with this lady. He said, would you give me a drink? And, uh, and uh, he, she said, how is it that you were a Jew and uh, you, you, you were asking me for a drink when Jews don't talk to Samaritans? And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. <clears throat> so they get talking and then he said to her, go and call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said to her, you have rightly said, you, I don't have a husband, but you've already had five husbands and now you're just living with a guy and he's not your husband. <clears throat> well, her jaw dropped and uh, she said, I perceive you're a prophet. She went back into the town and she published all that Jesus had done. And then the disciples were coming back and they saw that he was still talking to this woman. And they, they said, how come you're still talking to this uh, Samaritan woman? And Jesus said to his own disciples, say not there are yet four months and then comes harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are, al they are already white, ready for harvest. <clears throat> and some say, we're not ready to evangelize yet. Do not say there are still four months to go. Do not say we'll put off telling people about Christ till we're all better, until the church is perfect. The book of Ecclesiastes says, in the morning sow your seed, in the evening withhold not your hand because you don't know which will prosper, this or that, or whether they'll both be alike good. Jesus is saying the harvest is now. Let's look at the fields. Let's see people are ready to give their lives to Christ. People who have missed the way, walked out, you know, young people with a, a doom and gloom prediction over their heads. Young couples uh, doing their best to bring up the family on limited income. Older people who once maybe went to Sunday school and church but now have left uh, the faith of their childhood and they just would like to get back to the Lord. People in your world, people that you see when you go to the shop or when you go home and people that you meet to ask. People need the Lord. 
And don't say, it'll be okay. It's, it's, that, it's, it's in time to come. Jesus said, don't say there's four months to go. The harvest is now. Hallelujah. Don't say that because the harvest is now. How many of you would love to see thousands and thousands of people finding Christ as, as your Lord and Savior? <clears throat> now, I have... Uh, got for you a little video. I don't normally like videos. I keep on telling Jeff, but I. I <laughs> but this is a, a video that I'd like you to watch. And uh, Natalie, our technical expert, um, says uh, she doesn't know if it might be a bit grey. So if it's a bit grey, but you can hear the words, and it's about a man. Well. I'll leave, I'll leave you to, to see. And then I'll just come back and we wanna, we're going to do a song together. Thank you. Uh this story started many years ago in a Baptist church in Bournemouth, England. One Sunday night, the pastor, Dr. Francis Dixon, asked a man named Peter to share his testimony. Peter got up and said, This is how I was saved. I was in the Royal Navy. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia, and out of nowhere stepped a gentleman, and he said to me, Excuse me, sir, could I ask you a question? I hope that it won't offend you, but if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? The Bible says that it'll either be in heaven or in hell. Would you think about that, please? Thank you. God bless you. Then the man left. I'd never been confronted with that question. I couldn't get it out of my mind. I got back to England, met someone who took me to a mission, and that's where I became a Christian. Some while later, they had a youth meeting in the same church in Bournemouth, and Noel, one of the visiting team, shared his testimony. This is how I came to know Jesus Christ. I was in the Royal Navy, and my ship was stationed in Sydney. One evening, I was walking down George Street, when out of nowhere stepped a man. He said to me, young man, I have a question to ask you. If you should die tonight, where would you go? Would it be heaven or hell? Now, don't try to evade the question. It must be one or the other. What he said bothered me for many months. I sought out a Christian. He helped me and I gave my life to Christ. My Baptists love testimonies like that. The Baptist pastor from England was now very puzzled. Not long afterwards, he was preaching in Adelaide, South Australia, when he decided to tell the story of Peter and Noel's separate encounters with the man in George Street. As he did so, a man jumped up excitedly and said, I'm another, I'm another. I was drawn to receive Christ the same way by the same man on George Street. This was Corporal Murray Wilkes, who had been in a hurry to catch his tram on George Street, when a voice behind him called, Hey, wait! Murray stopped and turned around. The stranger in front of him asked, Soldier, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? Would it be heaven or hell? I hope I'd go to heaven, replied Murray. Hoping isn't good enough, said the stranger. You can know. The stranger's question had exposed a raw nerve in Murray's life. Although he was a good-living, church-going, married man, he also knew he was a hypocrite and had never faced the question of eternal destiny. Two weeks later, Murray knelt in the army barracks and gave his life to Christ. Dr. Francis Dixon continued his tour, and when preaching in Perth, he once again shared the stories. Afterwards, a young man came up to him and told how he too had been in the Navy, had visited George Street, and had become a Christian after meeting the stranger with his compelling question. When Dr. Dixon finally arrived in Sydney, he was eager to find out more about this urban missionary, and he asked a Christian worker, Who's this man in George Street? I know him well. His name is Frank Jenner. Francis Dixon was taken to a humble little house 
where he was introduced to Frank Jenner. As Francis related the story of the four young servicemen who had come to know Christ through his simple question, Frank began to weep. I've never heard that anyone I'd spoken to had gone on for the Lord. Some made the decision when I talked to them at a Saturday night of witnessing and then came home for breakfast on a Sunday morning. Sometimes 30 people came home with me, but I never knew any more than that. Frank had carried on this work for 16 years, and this was the first time he'd heard of any lasting results. I would say he really had to be committed to show that sort of gratitude and love for Jesus, to do that for so many years and not hear of any results. Over the next few years, Francis Dixon preached around the world, and he told the story of Frank Jenner from time to time. In the UK, at an evangelical convention, where pastors came to him, saying they had been arrested by the stranger with his startling question. In India, at a missionary convention where an Indian man had come to Sydney on one visit and had been confronted by Frank's question. He had received Christ and eventually gone into Christian ministry. In Jamaica, at a missionary conference where a couple of missionaries had come to Jesus years before at Frank Jenner's witness. In the United States, at a naval chaplain's conference, he shared about the man of George Street and his witness. A chaplain stood and shared that he too had come to Christ as a result of Frank Jenner's arresting question. It's impossible to know how many lives were touched by that one-line sermon, but it's safe to say that Frank Jenner's legacy is measured in terms more lasting than simple numbers can convey. Frank recounted his own journey of faith, which is every bit as remarkable as the lives of those he touched. Before I knew Jesus, he said, I lived the wild life of a sailor to the full and had become addicted to gambling. Then in 1937, I met my Savior for the first time, and my life was transformed. The addiction to gambling, gone forever. In gratitude for his second chance at life, he pledged to serve God to the best of his ability. He said, each day my aim was to speak to 10 people about Jesus, and I did so for 28 years, until Parkinson's disease took its toll. In wartime and in peace, good times and bad, I continued with the work that I promised to do. It has been estimated that over the years, Frank talked to more than 100,000 people, actually more than most pastors would address in their lifetime. In later years, Frank's health deteriorated, and during his last days, he prayed, Lord, please take me home on a Sunday night. His last request was granted. He died at a quarter to midnight, just at the end of a Sunday night. The next morning, a ray of sunlight shone through the open window. It fell upon his beloved well-worn Bible and the solitary rose resting on it. No one except a little group of Christians in Sydney knew Frank Jenner. But I tell you, his name was famous in heaven. Heaven knew him, and you can imagine the welcome he received when he went home to glory. Jesus said, If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Personally, I think Jesus confessed Frank's name very often to his Father in heaven. And conversely, Jesus said, If you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father in heaven. Actually, that's where it's best to be recognized, you know, in heaven, by your heavenly Father, rather than on earth. Because that's where our reward is too. Personally, I don't think Frank Jenner's face would ever have been published on the cover of any prestigious Christian publication, or his story carry more than a few paragraphs in a Christian magazine. But God has made sure that his story has been told to honor this man who honored Jesus so much. God bless you and empower you to be a bold and unembarrassed witness for Jesus Christ. That's a great story, isn't it? Hallelujah. <clears throat> Don't say, I'm too young.
Don't say, I'm too old. Don't say, I don't belong. Don't say, I'll get you back for what you did to me. And don't say, the harvest is a long way off. Let's serve the Lord now where we are. I've asked Chris if we could sing this lovely old song. Um, Here I am, wholly available. As for me, I will serve the Lord. And I'd like you to stand with me and as an act of dedication to God, tell the Lord, here I am. I'm not going to say I'm too young and inexperienced. I'm not going to look too deeply at my own weaknesses, but I'm going to look to the Lord. Neither am I going to say I'm too old. I've done my bit. I'm not going to do any more. Don't say that. Don't say the harvest is a long way off because God wants to reach people through you and I in our day and in our generation. Amen.